All right, my friend, and we are live. Welcome once again to the next episode here, the Red Delta Project podcast, live feed Q&A here on the RDP YouTube channel, where we are simplifying fitness by taking a fundamental approach to diet and exercise helping you to be fit and live free. I'm Matt Schifferly, and today's topic is all about building more muscle and strength with weighted calisthenics. This is part two in a three-part series on using the basic disciplines of grind-style calisthenics, progressive calisthenics, weighted calisthenics, suspension calisthenics, to help you transcend to higher levels of strength and muscle with more efficient approaches. So as I mentioned today is the weighted calisthenics. If you want to revisit the previous episode on progressive calisthenics, that is last week, and I'll have a link down below if I can, and that's going to be always the foundational kind of information to understand about building muscle and strength with calisthenics as a whole. So I highly recommend you start there, but nonetheless, the information we're going to be talking about today is certainly standalone, and you can use this as a, a piecemeal thing that you can take bits and pieces from and use as you like in your own workout programs, whether or not you're making calisthenics the focus of your strength and conditioning, or if you're using it as an accessory lift to weighted work uh, with heavier stuff, this is all going to be kind of a, a tips and tricks kind of idea, and you use it to the best of your ability. Now, one of the reasons why I like weighted calisthenics is because in many ways, I do firmly believe that for many people, it's going to be the simplest, most direct, and most efficient way at building muscle, period. I'm not talking about just building muscle with calisthenics. I'm saying one of the best, most direct ways of building muscle and strength at all. And there are several reasons for this. The first of which is that I've personally observed with training clients for over 20 years now and myself that there's pros and cons to using external load versus your body weight. Now, with your body weight, I personally have long found that it's so much easier for me to push my muscles to a much higher level of both intensity and fatigue. So I can build strength and muscle. And the more you can do that, the more effective your workouts are going to be. And the downside to that, though, is when you're using exclusively your body weight, like with progressive calisthenics, you're, of course, adjusting the uh, difficulty or the resistance of the exercise with your technique. So not only are you developing strength, you also have to develop things like coordination, tension control to a higher degree, uh, skill, if you will. The the skillful aspects of strength training, which is good. We definitely need to have that if we want to build muscle and strength. However, a lot of times people kind of get caught up on the rocks, if you will, in the shallows where they're trying to build more muscle and strength with their legs or their upper body and stuff, but they don't have the scapular control. They don't have the hip control. And so their lack of skill is in some of the more advanced techniques is kind of holding them back. Now, when we're using exercises that are much more external load, think of classic free weights, weight machines, things like that. Now it's a lot easier on a technical level because you're using very, very basic techniques, horizontal push pull. You're not doing unilateral stuff. You oftentimes have benches and supports uh, kind of keeping your body stable and stuff. So you don't have to have as much stability on your own part and things like that. So that makes it a lot easier on a technical level, but having a lot more uh, external load is oftentimes just harder on the body. Uh, and this has certainly been my case where I would get like underneath a bar for bench press and I would not get a set of bench presses and be like, okay, yeah, that, that felt really hard. Like my nervous system and my joints and everything felt like I really pushed it. But at the same time, I was able to get 20 repetitions. And if you can do 20 reps, that's still considered fairly light levels of resistance. It's not that much intensity. So if you really want to push yourself, you need to push the loads up much higher. And that can be, again, a lot more of a liability on the stress on your body as a whole. And what weighted calisthenics does is it keeps you with the basic fundamental low, relatively low skill type of techniques, horizontal push, pull, dips, that sort of thing. So the technical demand isn't really that high, but you're using primarily your body weight. So you're taking exercises that are already fairly challenging and you're supplementing the weight of your body 
with an external load. So you're really able to easily push that resistance to a very high level. And things now like five by five and doubles and triples and stuff like that become much more accessible. But at the same time, it's not so much external load that it's super hard on the body. And so that's why I really do believe that for many people, the whole weighted calisthenics thing is a great way to build muscle and strength as a primary choice, period. Okay, so I hope I'm kind of selling you on this a little bit. And don't get too dogmatic about it, too. Uh, sometimes people in the calisthenics world look at it and be like, oh, that's not real body weight training. That's, uh, that's actually weightlifting. Or sometimes uh, weightlifters will be like, that's not real weightlifting. That's body weight training stuff. Don't worry about what category you put it into. A lot of times people base their training recommendations, what exercises they're using and stuff, off of what dogmatic box or labels they put on exercise, which is usually not the smartest way to go about deciding whether or not something is appropriate for you. Because now you're basing what you're doing on a label rather than what it's actually doing for your body, which is what it should be. We do the same thing with diet too. I was all about the whole low fat craze and stuff back in the 90s and the early 2000s and stuff. And I would eat anything as long as it said low fat or fat free on the label. You could have made black tar heroin fat free. And I'd be like, great, that means it's healthy. And I'm eating it not because it's good for me or because I really need it to satisfy my appetites or because I really actually truly want it. I'm eating it purely because of what's on a label. And then at the same time, I'm shunning things that would have been very good for me and very helpful and things I actually wanted. And I'm not eating it purely just because of a label. So don't get caught up too much on the labels here, my friends. When we base things off labels, we just simply limit our decision-making ability. And uh, then we also are very much at the manipulation of companies and corporations because basically they're like, great, we just need to put a certain thing on the label or call it a certain thing. And we'll have people doing this regardless of whether or not they really should be. There's actually, I've, I've got to look this guy up. There's a guy on social media, I think TikTok, might be Instagram Reels or both and stuff. And he literally takes candy and stuff and he makes it packaged and labeled like it's health food. He did it with cotton candy, did it with candy corn and stuff. And he puts on like, you know, uh, uh, fat-free and organic or no added sweeteners or all these sorts of labels and stuff on basically junk food to make it look like it's wholesome and natural and good for you and healthy and stuff, just as a great way to show how easy it is to get fooled into thinking that something is better or worse for us purely because of the packaging. Because we do judge a book by its cover. I know I say don't judge a book by its cover, but we really do. But anyway, I digress. It's a really interesting thing you may want to just look into. And uh, it's a fascinating idea and design and uh, product uh, display and uh, uh, identities that come with these sorts of things. Nonetheless, we are talking about weighted calisthenics. Now, weighted calisthenics also refers to calisthenics training that removes weight from the body, not just adding it. So most of the time we're gonna be looking at things like you know, dip belts and weight vests and all these things that add weight to the body. But if you're using pull-ups with an elastic band uh, under your feet or one of those weight-assisted chin dip machines that you often see at a gym, that in my mind is still also in the category of weighted because what you're doing is you're fundamentally adjusting the resistance of the exercise, not by your technique, but by adjusting the weight of your body against gravity. And in case, this case, you're not adding it, you're subtracting it, but still fundamentally the same kind of idea. So that's also in the rhetoric uh, that we can be using with this sort of thing. And more importantly, when it comes to the weighted types of calisthenics, we're going to be talking about programming, we're going to be talking about equipment, we're going to be talking about ways to prevent injury because it is uh, also one of the more injury prone styles of calisthenics training out there. So we need to make sure we're addressing things in the right attitude to prevent particularly the, the golfer's elbow, tennis elbow that can be so strong and prevalent uh, out there as well. So we'll get to your questions a little bit and uh, see where this conversation takes us. I know I'm starting a little bit early, but let's see what we can do for some things. Faith, uh, Fatih, 
Mert is coming on saying, hey, good days. Sometimes it really gets hard to start training. Do you ever feel unmotivated? And how do you handle the situation when you feel so? Absolutely. So motivation is one of those things that uh, to a degree that the gurus on social media have got right. Yes, it comes and goes. It ebbs and flows to a degree. However, motivation is incredibly important in our training. We don't want to go to that point where we're thinking, oh, I don't need motivation. I just need to force myself to do things. It's not a good idea. And nobody's really forcing us to do this whole diet and exercise thing for the most part. So that means that the only fuel we have that's pushing us in order to take action is our own motivation. So if you have no motivation, you have none of that emotional drive. It's incredibly important. So it's a very good question that you're asking because motivation is something we want to protect. Now, do we ever lose motivation? Do I ever not feel motivated? Absolutely. Uh, for sure. Happens quite frequently. I just had a real hard Wednesday this past week. I put in a 16, almost a 17 hour workday, finishing up my latest book, which will be released by the way, shameless plug, on November 19th. Uh, the working title is Be Fit, Live Free. It's kind of the magnum opus of everything for the Red Delta Project. Uh, the uh, announcement of where you can pre-order that will be coming out shortly. But anyway, really, really, really long, hard work day. And as a result, I just drove myself into the ground. And even now, I'm still exhausted. I just feel like I could sleep all day. I'm so tired. I don't know if I'm coming down with something or what. But my motivation right now is really, really low. And so what do I do? Well, thankfully, I have adaptive approaches. I've been using adaptive diet and exercise habits for several years now. And so if I'm not motivated to do something, I just don't do it. <laughs> it's that simple. I don't want to work out today. So I don't work out. If I'm really tired and there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but I kind of just want to get the blood flowing a little bit. I want to get a light pump. Okay. Then I'll just do a little bit of exercise that gets things moving. I had a push and pull workout today where I just basically had some suspension like chest flies and some dips and things like that. It wasn't too much, just a couple of quick sets. And I was like, all right, that's about <laughs> all the energy I have for today, but it felt good to do it. So it's not a question so much of, are we motivated? It's just, are we a, do we have a, enough motivation for a certain amount of work? And if we have less motivation, we just do less work or you can skip. You know, I'm always telling people like, look, I'm all, all about skipping a workout. If you wake up one day and you are just like, I really don't want to be training today. It's crappy weather out. I feel like crap. I didn't sleep well. My joints hurt and everything. Yeah, great. If you feel like I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight, I'm going to eat well and tomorrow I'm going to feel better, then by all means, work out tomorrow because you're going to create a much stronger stimulus putting your workout off than forcing yourself to go through it right now. And yeah, there's also that idea that if you start working out and you start moving a little bit, maybe the blood will get flowing and then you feel a little bit better. So give yourself the chance. I'm all about that. But yeah, if you're not motivated, don't work out. Don't, don't do the thing because you probably won't. <laughs> you know, if you're like, oh, I really should do it, at least that means you're motivated to some degree to do it. So maybe just downshift it a little bit, focus on a couple of key exercises for a couple sets and you're done. Micro workout that stuff. Uh, but if you're really unmotivated, just don't do it. And then you can come back to it when you are motivated. That's generally the best advice I can give you on exactly that sort of thing. Frederico is coming on. Good to see you, my friend. Saying, hey, have you uh, tried doing strength and later hypertrophy meso cycles? If so, how did it go for you? I like to kind of keep things a little bit more on uh, a periodization within the same workout kind of deal. You know, my grind style calisthenics, uh, a lot of my micro workouts that I post on the YouTube channel here, a lot of what I do has a strength cycle and a hypertrophy cycle in the same workout. Uh, the more traditional periodization plans where you have macro cycles, meso cycles, where you're spending several weeks in a training block, I always had a hard time with this because my motivation <laughs> to do different things uh, would always be ebbing and flowing. My lifestyle is extremely uh, unstable, I guess you could say. Like case in point, you know, my work day on Wednesday, I, I'm exhausted now. I may be for several more days. I'm just not uh, really up to snuff. 
So I like to adjust and adapt my training according to my circumstances on a day-to-day basis. For me to say, okay, this is how I'm going to train for the next six weeks or three weeks or whatever, it's a little, it doesn't quite fit for, for me. And I don't think it's really all that necessary for most people. A lot of times when it comes to periodization plans, what you're looking at is something for athletes, uh, basing it around competitions, basing it around uh, seasonal types of training. And this is how you train in the off season and preseason and in season and things like that. But in my humble opinion, most people, uh, they just don't need it. it. Some people like to do it. They're like, okay, I'm going heavy for the next six weeks and then I'm going to shift and stuff. And if you prefer it, then that's certainly reason enough to do it. But a lot of people don't really uh, like the planning and you know figuring out their cycles and everything. Most people just like to get in the gym, get it done, and then they're finished. And again, that's kind of my approach too. And that's why I made grind style calisthenics to have both strength and hypertrophy in the same cycle. And we'll be discussing that in a little bit on how we can use weighted calisthenics for that. All over DT saying, hey Matt, uh, everyone who does barbell squats actually do weighted calisthenics. <laughs> what do you think of the most poorly performed weighted calisthenics exercise? Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what I was talking about with labels. A lot of times when it comes to weighted calisthenics, people are like, so are weighted back squats or front squats, like is that weighted calisthenics? And that's like, again, I'm kind of like, sure, you know, put it in the powerlifting category, put it in the weightlifting category, put it in the calisthenics, weighted calisthenics, whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, usually I kind of err that's more on weightlifting just because again, the weight's not so much supplemental. It's the primary mode for your resistance, but so what, who cares? It's like, if you can really rock it and get a lot out of it, then it's good for you. But he's asking, what do you think most poorly performed weighted calisthenics exercise? I would say weighted pull-ups and dips which is usually one of the most effective ways to go about it if you know how to do it. But the shoulder stability is horrible in most people, myself included, much of the time. I think back on what I must have looked like doing weighted dips and pull-ups and stuff. And I'm just kind of like, oh boy, thank gosh, no one had like, you know, smartphone cameras at that time because I'm sure they were ugly as sin. So those are probably the the biggest uh, snafus that are uh, out there is the weighted pull-up and dip. And I'll be discussing ways you can do it a lot safer and smarter as well. Shamar is saying, Hima, I love in your videos. Thank you very much. Keep up the amazing work. What are your thoughts on cold showers and its effect on muscle growth? Hearing people say it, it is bad for muscle growth. Is this true? So maybe not kind of thing. Personally, for me, <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, cold showers. You know, it's, it's the same thing as intermittent fasting and everything. People get into it and they evangelize about it. It's like greatest thing ever and blah, blah, blah. And usually it's one of those things that probably has a little bit of benefit that's just getting kind of going crazy. Personally, for me, I always tell people like, dude, I grew up in like northern Vermont, you know, from uh, 45 minutes from the Canadian border. I spent most of my young life uh, until I moved here to Denver, which has much more temperate winters, uh, freezing my ass off every single day. Like, why in the world am I going to go take a cold shower? I've been cold and freezing and frostbitten most of my life because it's called going outside. You know, I don't need a cold shower. But we are talking about cold in general. It's not about the shower. It's about the cold. And one of the benefits of it is that uh, when we subject ourselves to cold, that helps to stem off the uh, inflammatory response to training. So if you need to recover faster, like an athlete or something, great, that's good. But there does seem to be a correlation between that inflammatory response to training and the stimulus for hypertrophy. (coughs) Excuse me. And so when we blunt that inflammatory response, there does seem to be a blunting of the stimulus for hypertrophy. Same thing happens if you just take a lot of ibuprofen, same kind of idea, an anti-inflammatory. So now I wouldn't exactly say it's probably bad. I'm sure there's plenty of jacked bodybuilders out there who swear by cold showers. It's just an influence on that process. How much of an influence will probably remain to be seen. But yeah, if you're coming to me and you're like, I want to get bigger, I want to build muscle and stuff, but everybody's all gaga about cold showers, I would basically say, well, you know, for me personally, I I don't need to recover faster from a workout because again, adaptive training. If it takes me five days to recover from a workout, then I just take five days from training that muscle group. If it 
takes me two days and it takes two days. Like I don't have a training schedule I need to abide by. So I don't need to worry about my speed of recovery. So I don't see any point to it. Like <laughs> for me, getting into a nice warm shower, especially in the winter here, is one of the few times I can actually not be cold <laughs> sometimes. I mean, right now I'm looking outside. It is snowing here in Denver. I'm going to be cold today going out and meeting some friends. So I don't need to <laughs> take extra steps to be colder. And if you're trying to build some muscle and you don't like the cold showers, don't worry about it. You're not missing out on anything. Mike G, it's good to see you. Been a while. Is Matt, how do you balance leg workouts in particular with other activities throughout the week? Uh, thought I had it down by getting out to ride my mountain bike a lot more lately, which I clearly prioritize. Yeah, it, don't, don't get too hung up on this sometimes because a lot of times people are like, I've got to balance it. So I've got a good amount of energy and good recovery for mountain biking and leg training and stuff like that. Don't forget, folks, there is nothing wrong with hitting your legs hard in a leg workout and then going mountain biking literally that same day. Are you going to be a little slower? Are your legs going to be a little more sluggish? Absolutely. So what? You know, I've, I've done that. I did that last week where I hit a leg workout and then I was like, no, I'm actually, you know what? I'm feeling like a mountain bike ride. I went mountain biking. Is it my best ride? No. Was it still very effective and fun? Absolutely. Did it really matter? Not really. I just rode a little slower. You know, same thing with the, my Taekwondo training. People in the martial arts are like, oh, how do I do this? Like if I'm really tired from the weekend, I got class on Monday. What do you do? Simple. You train a little more tired. <laughs> That's all. It's not like it's going to be this huge compromise to it. It's not like it's going to ruin your gains or anything. Sometimes you're just like, well, yeah, did a real hard mountain bike ride on Wednesday and I want to hit my legs Thursday. So, all right, leg workout's going to be a little bit shorter or a little bit lighter. That's all. You just adjust. You just adapt. And again, if you have an adaptive approach like I do, you're like, okay, I had a hard mountain bike ride on Wednesday. Was thinking of doing my legs on Thursday, but eh, I'll wait till Saturday. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it another day. I'll, I'll do it maybe Friday. I'll let it recover just a little bit because that's the beauty of adaptive training. If you need more time to recover, you just take more time to recover. And if you can go, you go. And it's a good way uh, to go about it, to prioritize both. Actually, I guess, isn't that technically not possible? <laughs> you know, something's got to get a little bit of a sacrifice to it. And since mountain biking is your number one priority, I would say, eh, just go through some lunges a few times a week and really focus on that stability and strength and mobility factor and stuff and uh, just call it a day. You don't have to like destroy your legs because that's usually the way I kind of do things is in the summer, I'm just kind of working my legs uh, moderately. And then in the winter when I'm not riding as much, then I kill my legs. So this is another way of like natural periodization that we were talking about earlier. Frederico saying, hope you get back on track, Matt. I've been very happy to read your new book. Thanks a lot for all you've done for us. Yes, my friends, I'm very excited to get this out because it is literally the cornerstone of everything Red Delta Project. Uh, the whole entire like connection, the, the RDP universe is completely revamped over the past several weeks. New website, new PDF store. You can get all my books on PDFs now on reddeltaproject.com. New newsletters, new... Uh, uh, podcast directory that I'm using to get this out sooner, faster, and better audio quality, new equipment. I mean, it's just, I'm revamping everything because once this book hits uh, the, the, well, the shelves, I guess no one goes to a bookstore anymore, but once this sucker is out, it's game on and everything about RDP is going to go up to uh, crank it up to 11 and then we're ripping off the knob. But speaking of getting back on track, let's talk about weighted calisthenics because that is the topic for today as much as I love answering your questions. So first and foremost, let's talk gear, because that's fun, because one of the advantages, but also downsides of weighted calisthenics is it is more gear intensive. Progressive calisthenics doesn't really need anything other than you know, sturdy pull-up bar, but weighted calisthenics does need more equipment, namely the weight. And one of the easiest ways to get started with this is just a simple dip belt and some sort of weighted implements. Now for my money, the best weighted implements that you can use for most weighted calisthenics is, are just a simple set of dumbbells. If you can even find one of those uh, dumbbells where you just slide the plates on and you have like the spin lock colors or something like that, that's great. Because most people, 
when it comes to weighted exercises that are going to do weighted pull-ups and or dips and some sort of a weighted like single leg variant like Bulgarian split squats, lunges, pistol squats, that sort of thing. Those exercises typically don't need a whole lot of extra weight and they're really easy, easy, easy to load because the push and pull, pull-ups and dips is done with the dip belt. So that loads your, your hips, which can handle it. And then when you're doing your leg exercises, you just hold on to the weight. So it's very comfortable, very easy to load up. I recommend that if you are doing uh, weighted uh, dips and pull-ups, that you do it on something a little less stable, like suspension straps or rings. And the reason for that is simple. It's harder. When you're using a more solid apparatus, like a straight pull-up bar, dip bars and stuff, it's an easier way to go about it. So you're going to need more weight in order to create an effective stimulus. But when you're doing it on rings or you're doing even pull-ups, like if you're using the, I'll see if I can find it, these, you know, rotating handles that you can find over a Kensui. These are fantastic. They're just a simple handle that has some rotational ability. Not only is that a lot easier on your joints, but it's less stable just enough to the point where you're going to have to contract your muscles harder to get the exercise done. And what that means is you're going to get uh, more of a stimulus potentially from using less weight. So I know this is a really unusual way of thinking about it, but the less weight or external load you need with weighted calisthenics, the better in my opinion. When you are using tools and techniques and stuff that allow you to lift heavier, that's going to make it harder to get an effective stimulus. It's a backwards way of thinking about it. Remember, we're here to condition our body. We're here for the seeking of a stimulus telling the body to adapt. And it's a lot easier to do that when we make the exercise less efficient to perform, less efficient for the muscles to perform. So if you were to do, for example, pull-ups and you're using a shorter range of motion, nice stable grip, nice stable bar, you need a lot more weight in order to create the same relative fundamental stimulus than you would if you were on gymnastics rings using rotation, big, huge range of motion. And that gets people a little bit. It's like, well, if I did it that way, I used to do pull-ups with like 90 pounds. Now it's even a challenge to do it with 30 pounds. Like, great. That is the way to go because it's easier to create the stimulus you're after. You want to make exercises less efficient. It's the grind style way. I tell people that all the time. We do things the hard way in grind style calisthenics. I don't want it to be easier. I don't want the exercise to be something that I can lift 300 pounds with. I don't want to be able to do 100 push-ups. If I'm doing 100 push-ups, it's too darn easy. I want to make it hard on myself because that makes it easier to create the stimulus I'm after. If you're doing an exercise, you can do 20, 30, 40 repetitions on, it's a lot harder to create the stimulus you're after. So I, that's why I recommend using primarily unstable types of equipment like rings or suspension straps. The other piece of equipment I recommend is a Kensui weight vest. Now these weight vests, and I'm not a big weight vest guy actually, I, I really don't like weight vests. They're tedious, they're cumbersome, they're really hard to adjust, you know, when you got the little sandbags and the weights and stuff. I had a guy I was training back in Vermont and he brought in a big weight vest and he's like, I'm going to get jacked. I use this weight vest and stuff. And it was one of these ones where it literally had 80 little one pound weights to it. And he basically set it up with like 40 pounds or something. And he had all these other little tiny weights just cluttering around on the weight room floor. And he never adjusted the weight on the vest because it was so tedious. It's little individual pockets for every little thing. You know, it's like, okay, I've got 40 pounds and I need 60. And it's like, dip, 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 dip. You know, he's got to put all these one, can you imagine loading up a barbell one pound at a time? That's essentially what you're doing. So the Kensui weight vests that I love, these essentially turn your body into a barbell where you load up, you have a weight pin on the front and the back of your body, and you just simply slack it on, and you use either the weights that you can find at the gym. So if you wanna use a weight vest at a gym and they don't have weight vests, you just put this in your gym bag. You don't need to 
like carry an 80 pound weight vest around with you all the time. You just carry this and the weight is already there. Kinsui, I just noticed on their website, they have specialty designed plates for these. They are gorgeous. I have to get me a set. They're chrome. They're really nice and thin so they don't get in the way. They're not big and bulky like a lot of the plates are these days where they've got all the vinyl and the rubber on it and stuff like that. They are beautiful. You don't have to use them, but I want them. I want them real bad. So I'll definitely be picking up a, some of those. But that's what I always recommend is the Kinsui weight vest because they are fantastic. They're quick. They're fast. They're easy to load. They're comfortable as hell. And uh, that if you came to me and you're like, dude, weighted calisthenics, what's the one tool you're always going to use? Kinsui weight vest. I can load everything with just that. And it doesn't take a whole lot of extra load as well. So Highly recommend that. Again, links to all this stuff is down below as well as discount codes if you want to partake and save yourself a little bit of money. Again, know that and keep in mind they are affiliate links. So if you do end up purchasing something that does help to support the RDP, which is greatly appreciated. Master Dave coming on hot saying, part one, oh boy, this is a two-parter or maybe a three-parter, who knows? Uh, saying, hello, Matt. I've dealt with knee pain and inflammation several years. Seems a lot is due to IT band syndrome and valgus knees. Absolutely, well, join the club, my friend. I've had, my knees were shot the hell when I was 14. Uh, but yeah, knee pain, very, very detrimental. It follows up part two. Seems lateral chain exercises, working that lateral hip strength and external rotators have been of great help. Yes, exactly. Because remember, nobody has IT band pain because of tight IT bands. The IT band is it's the iliotibial tendon. It's supposed to be tight. It's the muscle that attaches to the tendon, the TFL, uh, tensor fasciolata in the hip that you need to strengthen. Uh, anyway, uh, working lateral hip strength and external rotators uh, have been of great help. Also engaging the glutes more with bands during squats. Any thoughts on this? You're totally on the right track, my friend. 100% exactly. I would throw in uh, some... Deep squats, shifting squats, shifting squats go a long way. I've got videos on the YouTube channel. Just search in my channel, shifting squats, you'll find it. Shifting squats, shifting lunges, because strength and mobility, they go kind of hand in hand. And your TFL is, your IT band is tight because your TFL is tight. Your TFL is tight because it's either trying to compensate for a lack of engagement in other muscles in the hips, or it's a weak muscle that hasn't really gone through a big range of tension. A combination of those probably. So shifting squats and lunges and stuff go a long way in building the strength, stability, and mobility in those hips. And I usually find that if people are engaging a lot in deep shifting leg work, uh, IT band just is not an issue there. So that's what I would recommend. And one more here. Uh, we've got Cinderberg, uh, uh, the great, saying I'm 30. Three years old is late for me to start training and build some muscle. Absolutely not, my friend. We never lose the ability to build muscle and strength. Never. I mean, they've taken people in their 90s and they've built muscle and strength. We've never lost that ability. And, you know, I mean, I'm 45. Like, this is the thing is, you know, guys like my age, we look at people and are like, I'm 25, I'm 30, I'm 30. Is it too late for me? I was like, please, you're still a young buck. Like I didn't even start calisthenics training until I was your age. So by all means, get on it because the older you get, the more important strength training becomes. And I would even say it's kind of a little bit of a philosophical approach, but the older you get, the more beneficial it becomes. Because one, you've got a lot of neuromuscular hiccups and hangups and imbalances and stuff that just grow over time. And a lot of times we were like in their 40s, 50s, 30s sometimes and like, my knees hurt, my IT band hurts, my this hurts, my that hurts. It's like, yeah, that's because of how you've been using those muscles for the past 20 years, right? It's not something that comes up just immediately in the past six weeks or so. So you want to be training for that purpose. And the more older we get, the more that stuff becomes prevalent. It's like when I was 20 years old, and you know, basically training to be a faster bike racer in college. Like, okay, I build stronger legs and for what? Like 30 seconds faster around a course? As an athlete, that matters. But does it really improve my quality of life and stuff? No, not really. It doesn't really do anything for me. But when you get older and you're like, I can still squat without knee pain. I can still go for a run. I can still be on my feet all day 
and not have a sore lower back. I have a good posture. I look good in a shirt. And especially, and again, you know, when I get to be my age, like I'm 45, I've got abs and I've got a good physique. Believe me, there's a lot of my peers who do not have a decent physique at 45. So having a physique like this at 20, it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of people have a physique like that. Big deal. But when you get to be older, every year you get older and your physique is even eh, not too bad, the more you stand out from the crowd as being exceptional. So bottom line is, no, get your ass in the gym, pick up my books, get weighted calisthenics, get going on things. You don't have to kill it. You don't have to crush it. But the benefits are still there for the taking more than you know. Joseph Bello saying, hello, Matt. It's good to see you, Joseph. I'm still in recovery with my hip and I'm going to be for eight more weeks. Yeah, I'm making progress a little faster than some other people. The PT people tell me I look forward to training soon. Absolutely. Be patient there, Joseph. Be patient. I know you want to get back to it real quick, but that's how you mess things back up again. You know, it's, it takes time for things like that. And Kurt Cobain said it best, you know, take time with a wounded hand because it likes to heal. It's, and it's going to take as long as it takes. You know, sometimes you feel like I should be healed by now. It's like, yeah, if it takes eight weeks, takes eight weeks, takes eight months, takes eight months, takes eight days, hopefully. But uh, it's uh, definitely something that uh, you want to be taking your time with. Lift to perform saying, hello, Matt, what are your thoughts about uh, banning sumo deadlift in lifting competitions. Is sumo really that easy and is labeled cheating compared to conventional deadlift? There was a great article on Stronger by Science with this. Is why is the sumo deadlift that much easier? And it's not that much easier uh, to a large degree. It's kind of still in the same ballpark. I think there's a lot of rhetoric around the sumo deadlift where people are like, oh my gosh, it's like 40% easier. No, it's like 10% easier. It's not that big. But when it comes to your uh, technique and stuff for competition, it, it matters because 2% difference can be a difference maker. So yeah, when it comes to your competition, you got to have your rules and stuff. So this is the thing is when people are like, oh, I did the exercise this way, that's cheating. I'm like, no, it's not cheating. It's called a regression. <laughs> you made it easier on yourself, which is a very smart strategic thing to do when you're training. But training for fitness is very different from training for sport. When you're training for sport, you train in order to do the best that you can according to the rules of the sport. So in that regard, I always say, well, if you can use an easier technique to get better numbers and do better in competition, use the easier technique. So that's the difference there. I was saying earlier, grind style calisthenics is all about conditioning. We want to do things the hard way. So if you came to me and you're like, I want to build up my posterior chain, my glutes, my hamstrings and everything, what would you do? I'm like, do a Romanian deadlift with your feet close together. Like, why? I can't lift nearly as much weight. Exactly. It's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get stronger muscles that way. But if you're like, but I need to be in this deadlifting competition, like, oh yeah, sumo deadlift that sucker. You know, you want to make this a lot easier on yourself. So I don't think it should be banned or anything. Just expect people to use it. Yeah, just because it really, it's all relative. You know, when people are like, oh, you know, I'm doing pushups like this. I'm like, stop doing them the easy way. What do you mean doing it? Well, you're using both arms. <laughs> you know, stop doing them with both arms like that kind of thing. It's always about what technique is allowed by the sport, the rules and the governing body of the sport. And if they make rules to make it harder, then great. And if not, then use the easy technique. But it's not something that's like cheating or anything. Uh, because you don't get trophies for working harder in sports. <laughs> you know, that was a lesson I learned real hard as a bike racer initially, because I was always about grinding out my gears, really high uh, gear. I'd go up the hill and I'd be like 50 RPMs and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm really working my quads. I'm really working. And they're like, stop. You're going to burn out your legs and then you're going to go slower. So I had to learn to spin up hills and, and draft people and things like that, which is completely opposite of what I was riding my bike for when it came to fitness. Uh, so they were like, you do things as easily as possible in sport to get the best possible score. But when you're going with fitness, you do things as hard as possible to get the best possible stimulus. And that's what the weighted calisthenics is all about. 
I mean, think about it. If you're like, let's do a push-up competition, but you've got to wear 50 pounds. I'm like, dude, with 50 pounds, I'm going to do poorly in the competition. Yeah, but you're going to get stronger with, than with the conventional push-up because you're adding resistance. Mr. Pink. Uh, how do jack prisoners build muscle on 50 grams of protein, three state trays of mostly carbs? Well, it, it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, well, people behind bars are training this way and eating this way and stuff. We don't know. We don't know what they're doing uh, because it's different for every penal institution. It's different for all the regulations out there. You know, they've got the regular meals, but they've also got uh, the ability to get food other ways. You know, they can get supplements other ways kind of things. Depends on what type of conditions that you have. Some people can get things brought in with family members and things like that. I mean, if you read um, Convict Conditioning too, I don't have a copy here. Uh, Paul Wade talks about that to a very large degree. He even has sample menus of the stuff that he was eating in prison. You know, I look at that and I'm like, dude, if more Americans ate like this, we would be a much healthier <laughs> nation because they, these meals all seem very well balanced. They all seem great versus the guy who's like, oh, I forgot to eat today. And oh, what'd you have for breakfast? You know, Snickers bar kind of thing. Yes. You know, they're eating a lot better than we think, uh, which they should. I mean, when you're in a penal institution, your meals are regulated. They have to conform to a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I think they're eating a lot better than most of us think uh, in many cases. And that, again, that's not to say that those three meals that they're getting is all they're eating. Strong and conditioned. Jack, man, awesome. Hey, Matt, uh, if you could only perform one pull-up variation for the rest of your life, what would it be? P.S. Would love to have you on my podcast one day. Absolutely, my friend. Send me an email. Let's talk about it. Uh, send me a link to your podcast. Uh, send me an email. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. Let's talk shop. Love getting down and talking uh, and with the proverbial digital coffee table. Uh, let's make it happen. But anyway, one pull version, neutral grip all day long, my friends. You can't go wrong with neutral grip stuff. Neutral grip is just that nice, balanced, uh, easier on the joints, hits all the muscles so nice and tidy. It's strong, it's stable, it allows some unilateral progressions and stuff. Neutral, neutral grip all day long. But that's again, if you don't have handles that will rotate, uh, we'll take rotating handles over static handles, very much so. Suspension straps, rings, these nice, pivoting ones at Kensui. Again, th these are the same folks who make the weight vest. They it's one of the most innovative fitness companies out there, in my humble opinion. It's like every time I go on that website, I'm like, Ooh, look at all these new toys they've got. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, so they're really innovative with a bunch of their stuff. I know this isn't like all that innovative. There's These handles have been around forever, uh, but they do it well. They design it really well. They build it with quality materials. The designs are outstanding. Uh, I can't endorse Kensui enough. I think they're just fantastic. So if I could, you know, rotating handle pull-ups, I guess is the way, way I would go about it. But yeah, send me an email. Let's talk about it. All right. So let's talk programming here. I know I'm talking a long-winded story here. Love chatting with you folks. I love answering your questions. Uh, programming with weight calisthenics. Essentially, you are still getting the same programming. Sorry, got something in my eye. That you would with any other strength and conditioning program. Right? Again, don't make the mistake I mentioned in the previous episode where people use a different discipline and they change up their programming. And they go from five by five on the bench press to trying to do 100 push-ups. It's like, why? You just totally changed the stimulus. And then, then they're like getting a different result and they're like, oh, it doesn't work or it doesn't work the same. It's like, well, no, you change your programming. Uh, same thing with weighted calisthenics. Whatever you're doing for sets and reps for weights or progressive calisthenics or machines or whatever, same exact thing. The fundamentals of strength training are not different for different disciplines. So it's the same sort of thing. If you're going with five by five, or you're keeping the reps low and the intensity high to build strength, same thing here. Or if you're going with lighter weight and higher reps for more stamina endurance, same thing. You're trying to build muscle, burn out the muscle, exactly the same thing. Nothing is different. But keep in mind, and this is the biggest lesson I can ever give you when it comes to weighted calisthenics, is that never forget that the point of weighted calisthenics is not to lift more weight. The point is to basically challenge your muscles to work progressively harder over time. You're just using a different tool to do that. And so the way I usually approach weighted calisthenics is still use relatively hard techniques 
when it comes to the calisthenics you're doing. So I was mentioning unstable handles for pull-ups, keep things fairly narrow. So I'm still doing push-ups with a fairly narrow hand position. Why? Because it's harder. <laughs> so I don't need nearly as much weight using uh, dips on uh, rings and suspension straps instead of solid bars. If you're training your legs, do unilateral leg training, split squats, lunges, hover lunges, pistol squats, things of that nature. Because one, you don't need nearly as much weight to load it adequately. And two, it's just easier to get the muscles really working hard. And uh, when it comes to the leg stuff, especially, I usually recommend with the weighted unilateral stuff, have some other point of contact with your body. So uh, the split squats are a good example, Bulgarian split squats. If you're doing pistol squats or hover lunges where the other leg is not on the ground, hold on to something with your hands a little bit, either a single gymnastics ring or even just putting a hand on a wall or something, just give a little bit more stability. And that way you can push your muscles all the more harder. Some people have really good stability with their hips and stuff, and that can work very well, but most people, in my opinion, don't. So you're gonna get more out of having a hand on a, a, a bar on a rack or something, just something to give you a little bit more control so you can really push those muscles to a higher degree. You know, Wolfie Dragon saying, what happened to the beard? Was hoping to see Viking Matt. No, Viking, Viking Matt is, is uh, he's dead. He and I engaged in mortal combat on the fjords the other day, and uh, he was a pussy. He lost big time. No, <laughs> I can't. I can't grow very much until it starts driving me absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't know if it's my facial structure or whatnot, but once my beard grows out to a certain degree, it. You know how during COVID and we had the masks on. Well, imagine wearing a mask with itchy wool on the inside and itching powder, that's basically what it feels like 24 seven. And I can't, I can't even concentrate on stuff. Like I'm in Taekwondo and I'm like, my, my face is killing me, my face is killing me, my face is killing me kind of thing. So I basically, I'm in a cycle now where I grow it out and then I shave it and I grow it out and I shave it. It's like the cycles of the moon. <laughs> so right now you've got a clean shave and I had to clean shave it the other day to get the photograph for my book cover. Uh, that's why it's clean shaven right now. Uh, so again, my new book will be coming out November 19th, but the cover is finished, and I'm very excited to get that all out and ready to go. Programming, what else we have? Oh yeah, injury prevention. So uh, with weighted calisthenics, I use it sparingly. I usually don't make it like the bread and butter of what I'm doing, because weighted calisthenics can load and strain joints pretty easily if you're making it as the main thing you do all the time. Now, by all means, use it for several weeks. But mix it up a little bit. One of the advantages of progressive calisthenics is when you're adjusting your technique, you have a lot more of a variety in how forces are going through your body. But when you're always doing weighted pull-ups with the same grip and the same range and the same width and stuff, you're loading things up and it just kind of creates more of that strain and stress on a very consistent, regular way of applying force to your body. And True, and also when you make it the goal of, I gotta lift more weights, I gotta lift more weights, more weights, more weights, your technique starts to break down, your stability in your shoulders breaks down, and your hips and everything, forces going through your joints a little bit more instead of your muscles, because they're not doing the job. And before you know it, you've got some serious tendinosis going on or uh, some aches and pains and stuff. So when it comes to avoiding the injuries, make sure that A, you're still using difficult techniques, so you don't need that much external load, B, uh, use a bit of adaptive training uh, strategies. So don't force yourself to do a certain number of reps or a certain number of sets if you are starting to get tired and fatigued from a weighted exercise, you're done kind of thing. Like today I did some weighted dips on sus suspension straps. Like I said, I haven't exactly been feeling myself lately. So I think I got good, a good two sets and then I jumped up there for a third set and it was like, like I went down and everything was going, you know, red alert, red alert. This doesn't feel very good. Everything feels really tired. You know, it, it was not a strong set. And I got like two reps. I'm like, I'm done. You know, now I could have kept forcing myself for more, but why? You know, I'm tired. I'm achy. I'm sore. I'm just, my body doesn't feel very good right now. And usually when we force our body to perform work, it doesn't really have the ability to handle. That's when we just get more wear and tear. That, and it's not very good for uh, your motivation as well. Thomas is saying, hey Matt, 
any advice on golfer's elbow I got from pulling hanging exercises? Please, exactly. Yeah, very, very common injury with weighted calisthenics. Calisthenics in general, of course, biggest issue is people just don't engage their back very much. A lot of people do not have good back activation, my friends. Very, very uncommon for people to adequately use their lats when they're doing pull-ups. Never forget that even though an exercise is supposed to use a muscle group, doesn't mean it necessarily is. A lot of times it's because the shoulders are coming up and forward. They're not down and back. So when you've got the elbow, uh, the tendinosis there for golfer and tennis elbow, you just, you got to rest it. You got to do things that avoid the pain. And yeah, that stuff takes forever to heal. I've known people who had it for the better part of a year and they're like, is this ever going to heal? I'm like, yeah, but it takes a long time depending on the severity of it. Plus every single time where you jump up on the bar and you're like, I think I'm good. And you pull, pull, ah, every time you feel that you're re-damaging it a little bit and prolonging the recovery as well. So you got to be prudent about these sorts of things. Don't force these uh, deals when it comes to having a lot of stress on those joints. Let it heal and uh, make sure we're packing those shoulders down and back big time. Very, very strong. When we are doing pull-ups and dips and things, we want to feel like our back is going absolutely nuts. You don't want to feel like it's all in the biceps or the shoulders. You want to feel like your whole back is lit up like a Christmas tree. And if that's not the case, maybe time to regress to an easier exercise and really get a lot of that scapular motion when you're doing your exercises at the top of a pull-up shoulders come up or bottom of the pull-up shoulders come up and then you pull up and those shoulders pack down. You can get those shoulders away from the ears as much as possible when you're pulling yourself on up ensures the force is going into your back, not the joints. Cause always remember when we've got stress in a joint usually means a muscle somewhere is not doing its job. Lift to perform is saying, what about uh, down workouts for people with limited weights, Matt? down workouts. What do you mean? Like one set, 30 reps, set two, 29. Oh, like a drop set and so on until reaching one on bodyweight workouts, then progressing to 31 down and so forth next time. Yeah. So basically remember that we've got a million different ways that we can program our workouts. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is just different ways of doing the same thing, which is either pushing the muscles to a high state of fatigue, stimulating hypertrophy, uh, creating a lot of tension in the muscle, 